The title for today's message is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. We're going to start by reading a few verses at the end of chapter 6 of Luke before we go back to the beginning of chapter 6. We're going to be listening to an illustration that Jesus uses which helps us as his people to understand how we best receive his word and how we best listen to him and and what he's pursuing within us and for us as we do those things. So let's just read a couple of verses. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it And immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Jesus brings this illustration immediately on the back of a set of teaching called the Beatitudes, very similar to the teaching he gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe that sermon is the greatest sermon ever preached from his teaching in that sermon and in the one which has just come before this passage, the whole of Christian ethics has been shaped by it. But also as we go through the Beatitudes and we read such things as love your enemy and turn the other cheek, we find these instructions are hugely challenging. And Jesus gives us this illustration right on the end of it. And I want you to see immediately there are three verbs that he uses for the person who builds really well. He says, the person who firstly comes to me, secondly, hears my words, and then thirdly, acts upon them. Those are the three essential verbs for how we are to build our lives well. And you must have all three. So if you just simply attempt to, thirdly, act on his words, I mean, if you know the Sermon on the Mount and you try and do it, impossible. You will find yourself restlessly striving to live the kind of life that Jesus describes and you'll always feel like, have I done enough? But you see, Jesus doesn't just say, act on my words. He says, come to me, hear my words, and then act upon them. So if we neglect, as it were, to come to Jesus, if we put our fingers in our ears and don't listen to him, but we still try to live the good life, we end up in religiosity, Or we end up in what we might call legalism. Or we end up looking a little bit like the Pharisees. 
And Jesus says, you're building your life without a foundation unless you come to me, hear my words, and act upon them. And so we want to be faithful to that invitation today. It's not my words that we need to hear. It's the words of Jesus. And so my biggest prayer is that he would preach as it were through me, that we would hear the words of Jesus spoken. And not only that we would hear them, but as we hear his words, we find ourselves irresistibly drawn towards him. And as we are drawn towards him, as we are hearing him speak, we are those who are obedient to his words, that we act upon them. What's the point in hearing his words and then neglecting to do anything with them? Do you want to build your life well? Do you want a strong foundation? This is wisdom for you. I don't know if you saw that video this morning that was on BBC News. There's been all these horrendous storms, particularly up the north of the country and into Scotland. And there's a video on the BBC News today of a forest floor being lifted up by the wind. Did anyone see that? It was astonishing. Literally, this guy's videoing the forest floor being lifted up by the power of this wind. It was amazing. Not if you're a mole, I guess, or a badger. But that's a pretty intimidating moment. But here's the point. Jesus is saying life can be like a storm. And sometimes you find the winds battering upon you, buffeting against you. It's not one of us that's lived any length of life that, that, that can't testify to times when life is like a storm and it's raging around us. And, the, and the, the compassion of Jesus to you, the compassion, the kindness of God to you is this. He's saying, I want you to stand firm in those moments. I want you to know security and strength. Even when in your life you're finding circumstances are so overwhelming and you're, you're asking the question, how is this happening? Why is this happening? And yet you remain trusting in God, not giving up on him. And it's not long before the storm passes. And you, you go, wow, I'm still here. He wants you to build your life on that kind of foundation. We find it in Jesus' words. So let's go to the beginning of the chapter. And we're going to read the first five verses of Luke chapter 6 together. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat? He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I love this passage of Scripture. I want us to use our imaginations. Let's, let's imagine this scene together. Summer, harvest time. It's a Sabbath. The disciples with Jesus may well have just come from the synagogue or maybe going to the synagogue, where Jesus would often go, and he would often read from a scroll and bring a sermon and bring a message. 
Can you imagine walking along with Jesus after he's just preached his sermon? Jesus, just explain that point to me again. Just help me understand this aspect of God's character. Uh, uh, Jesus, I've got a whole load of questions for you. How did the world begin? I mean, I don't know what question. How would you, what would you ask him? You're walking along with Jesus next to you. You've got Jesus in your company and in your midst. Oh, how many questions would we go to Jesus with? But that just, what I want you to notice here is just the ordinary nature of this scene. They're just walking with him through the grain fields. Maybe it's wheat, maybe it's barley. The disciples are hungry, so they, they pull some of the grain off and they start rubbing it in their hands. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Jesus is with his friends. The disciples are with their friend. They're living their lives with Jesus. They're walking with him. And then this rude interruption comes. I mean, why are you not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? It's like, where did, where, where did he come from? Where did that guy come from? Suddenly he's on the scene and he's, what's he doing? He's questioning the rightness, the suitability of their behavior and their conduct. He, the implication is you're, a law, you're law-breaking here. You're a rule-breaker. Why are you doing this? Oh, imagine, I just thought of this in a moment. Imagine you've gone to, well, let's go back a few hundred years. You've gone to a Mozart concert. And there's Mozart conducting the, the orchestra in, one of, in a recital of one of his great concertos. And it's building and building and it's magnificent. And someone gets up and says, you're playing it wrong. Uh, Mozart, you are not conducting this as it should be played. Can you imagine the the nerve of doing that to Mozart? Well, come on. The nerve of speaking to Jesus and saying, you're not doing the Sabbath properly. The nerve. The arrogance. I find it astonishing that Jesus doesn't in this moment go, all right, lightning bolts, bang. (laughs) Had enough of these guys doing my head in. But he's so compassionate. He's gentle. He affirms the Sabbath. But he elevates it. And he brings a great challenge to them. You see, the Sabbath was given right in the beginning, after creation, in a glorious moment. Let's just remind ourselves of the origins of the Sabbath. So, Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made. He saw it in its magnificence, in its unspoiled splendor. And it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. And on the seventh day, God had completed, I want you to hear the word completed. He completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it, he rested from all his work of creation. The Sabbath was this beautiful moment where the Lord God took in 
the beauty of the work of creation, which he'd just been going through over these six days. He's got, he's got it done. God doesn't get tired or slumber or there's no weakness. But God institutes and establishes here this day of rest. A day you could, you could say of enjoying the glory of God. A day of enjoying the worship of God. A day to stand back, as it were, and take in a deep breath. <sighs> the work is completed. He puts a Sabbath in as a life-giving, life-affirming, glorious, wonderful moment in creation. And then the Pharisees come along and they add law upon law, rule upon rule, regulation upon regulation. Now we're going to see in a moment how the Sabbath came to be instituted among the laws of Israel through Moses. But the reason why the laws got written was, I suppose, the question, okay, but what does it mean to rest? Like, how do we actually do rest? I mean, if I was to survey this room and say, what does a day of rest look like for you? We're going to get a whole load of different questions. Some people will say golf. Some people say going for a walk in the country. Some people will say chilling out and watching maybe something. What does rest look like for you? A long lion? That sounds good. I remember those well. What does it look like? A day of rest. What we see Jesus doing here with his disciples is what I think rest looks like. It's walking with Jesus among the grain fields, among the ordinary moments in my life. I'm, I'm with him. I'm coming near him. I'm not working. They're, they're not fishing. They're not doing carpentry. They're not doing what they normally do in their day. They're just they're here with Jesus, for him, being with him, walking with him. And then the regulation upon regulation, the rude intrusion, the implementation, the bringing of law in to crunch through this beautifully relational moment. You've got to hear this. God is inviting us into relationship with him. You see, we can quite easily look at this scene and feel envious towards the disciples and think, I'd love to have had that moment. I'd love to have walked with Jesus through the grain fields. I'd love that. And, and God would say, you, you get it. You see, he said to his disciples, it's better that I go that the spirit might come, the comforter, the helper, the paraclete, the true friend, that you might walk with me every day. And I love the way in which Jesus confronts them because he's gracious, as I say, he's kind. This, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's still quite funny. Jesus answered in verse three, oh, this is a bit awkward because you read the Bible a lot. I know you read the Bible a lot, but haven't you read what David did with the bread? Do you see what he's doing? You must have heard about the incident with the bread, right? How it's sanctified bread, how it's only for the priests to eat. And sorry, Pharisees, I know this is a bit awkward for you, but, but he even gave it to his friends to eat as well. And, and they, don't, they don't react here. It's almost like they've gone, oh, oh yeah, 
there is, this, there is that place in the Bible where what is customary, what has been instructed in terms of ordinary, ordin, orderly ceremonial worship has been contravened somehow. There's a break. What's happening here? We could call this the law of grace. We could call this the law of grace. Tim Keller um, makes this point. When we find ceremonial worship, so we could add the stipulations and the rules about following the Sabbath or about sanctified bread that's only for the priests that Jesus refers to here. When we find the requirements of these are put to one side, it's indicative of something. He says, um, the temporary, they're temporary. They're temporary, these things. They're temporary, meaning they will end when something comes along that makes them obsolete to which they point. Now here, let me just ask you this question. Do you think it's good to keep a Sabbath? Who thinks it's a good idea to have a Sabbath, to have a break, to have a day off? Good, we've got general agreement. It's a good thing to do. How many of us are quaking in our boots at the thought of being struck down dead if we don't keep the Sabbath? How many of you are worried if you're going to Sainsbury's after the meeting today, you're going to be struck down dead for doing something you shouldn't do on the Sabbath? So how do we understand the tension? Something's changed, isn't it? Something's changed. What's changed? Why were the laws given in the first place? Who's the fulfillment of the law? Who's the fulfillment of the law? It's Jesus. So the law is saying, we can't do this. There was never been a single Pharisee that kept the law perfectly. And Jesus saw into their hearts and saw, oh, yeah, okay, you're, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Lovely and sparkly and white on the outside, but inside you're a rotting corpse. I know what's in your heart. So Jesus brings them back to the word of God. And that should always be our reaction. If we're faced with a challenge, why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you teach what you teach on matters like marriage, for example? Why do you, why do you teach what you teach? It's wrong. It's unrighteous. What must we do? We must go back to the word of God and we say, look, we are a people who, who, who seek to act upon the words of Jesus because we've met Jesus and we love Jesus and Jesus has saved us and come into our lives because we really love our life with Jesus. And so Jesus has given us words and he said, act upon them. And he says, if you want to build a, a house that's strong, it needs to be dug into a deep foundation uh, because the storms are going to come and this life is full of storms. And, and even though there's wisdom out there in the world that seems to not stack up against the wisdom of God, we still stick by his wisdom and his words because we want our house to stand strong when the day of storm comes because we believe him even and maybe especially when his words seem to go against what we see out there in our society. And so we must go to the word of God as Jesus does and he sets us that as an example to us. True Sabbath, true rest is walking with Jesus. 
But true Sabbath and true rest is also healing from Jesus. Let's carry on reading, verse six. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? The implication of which is if he doesn't heal him, it would be an evil thing to do. To save life or to destroy it? We can only presume silence in that moment, tension. As all eyes are on Jesus, maybe a few looking at the Pharisees, what will he do? After looking around at them all, can you imagine the piercing glare of Jesus in that moment? After looking around at them all, he told him, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were filled with rage. Like, what? He's just healed this guy. You've just seen the power of God in an astonishing way. This guy's hand shriveled up. This is a, a, a totally debilitating condition, especially you've got to understand in that day and age. He wouldn't be able to work probably. He would be always at the mercy of other people helping him. His whole life has been massively affected by this. And here Jesus is, and he's healing him, and the hand opens up. Again, you think, oh, I, Lord, I would love to have seen that moment. Love to have seen it. And the Pharisees are furious. Why? Why are they furious? Because there, there are all kinds of reasons why. But firstly, they're idolaters. They idolize their own religion. They idolize their own rules. They idolize their Sabbath keeping. They're idolaters. Because they also see that Jesus clearly here has authority over them and authority over disease. Because maybe they realize that he really is God. And what are they going to do about it? Because everything that they've been teaching and everything that they've been living in, he's challenging and he's exposing. What are they going to do? Are they going to fall at his feet and plead for mercy? Or are they going to be stuck in their pride and are they going to reject him? Jesus is so kind, so gracious, so compassionate. You see, the Pharisees used the Sabbath as an imposition of their rules, as a way in which they used it, if, if you like, as a barometer for righteousness, a barometer for goodness, a barometer for how good a person was. You stick to our rules if you want to be a good person. 
Do you ever feel like there's an imposition of another set of values and righteousness upon you to determine whether or not you're a good person? In our day and age, you don't have to spend much time online before you get to see what is the righteousness of this world that we're being conformed to. And of course, hypocrisy within religion and hypocrisy within the church as well. Hypocrisy within the religious setup is not just an issue in Jesus' day, right? We recognize that. But what are we looking for? What are we looking for to discern? Is this God speaking? We find Jesus is full of grace. The Pharisees are deaf to his words. Everyone else, it seems, fascinated by him. Jesus shows us what true Sabbath is. True Sabbath is finding healing, finding a healing touch from Jesus. Have you known that? Have you known that moment? Maybe you've had a physical healing. But if you are a worshiper here today, then your heart once was shriveled up. My heart was once shriveled up. My heart was once cold and hard. And yet the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God came upon my life. And I saw Jesus for the true God that he is. And I found my rest in him. You know that Augustine quote? Our souls are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. And one of his most beautiful invitations in Matthew 11, come to me, we heard it earlier, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. The Sabbath is intended for rest. Yes, a physical rest, But really, true Sabbath is finding rest for our souls. And in our world, our souls are restless until they come to find Jesus. And we can try all kinds of things to resolve the restlessness of our spirits. But once you come and you find Jesus walking with you through the grain fields, once you find Jesus with you in the workplace, When you find Jesus walking with you, it's almost like every day is a Sabbath. Now, what I'm not saying is literally every day is a Sabbath. We should set aside. I think it's a good practice to set aside a day of our weeks to do something different, to rest. I believe in that that principle. But this isn't really the point of the passage. The point of the passage isn't to assert the principle of making sure you have a Sabbath rest. The principle of the Sabbath, of the passage, is to find who, what is the Sabbath all about? And Jesus' answer is, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that title is hugely significant. I haven't got time now to go through it, but in Daniel 7, we find a prophecy. It's a messianic prophecy about one who was to come, who would have all authority and all dominion, who would be a great king, and he is the Son of Man. And Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. If we want to find true rest, we come to him Genesis 2 at the end of the work of creation when everything was completed the Lord God rested I want to read these verses from Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 
This is the establishment of the Sabbath within the context of the law. But listen to this. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. That's interesting. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were under tyranny. Remember that you were not free. Remember how dark and bleak those days were. Remember how it was the Lord your God who got hold of you and rescued you and brought you through the sea and led you into a promised land. Now you've got a Sabbath. Slaves don't get a day off. But you do. Because you're not slaves anymore. You've been set free. You've been taken out of that place. You've been liberated. You're no longer in Egypt. You're in a promised land. You're my people, chosen. What day was it that Jesus was crucified on? Good Friday. What day was the Sabbath? Saturday. What was the final thing that Jesus said on the cross? He said, it is finished. The work is completed. Do you remember what he said to the thief next to him on the cross? He said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus died in the hours before the Sabbath kicked off. And he awoke into paradise with the thief next to him on that Sabbath day. His work completed. The greatest work. The greatest work. You see, we messed up God's creation. We just did a bad job. And sin entered into the world and suffering entered into the world and death and earthquakes and volcanoes and famine and war and child abuse and murder and all of the horrors. And whilst there's much within this creation still which is good and great and glorifies God, it's a marred, it's a flawed, it's an imperfect creation. And Jesus has come in order to liberate his people from bondage to slave, slavery and to lead us into a true rest. It's interesting. He died on that Friday and the Saturday, the Sabbath, he was in paradise to return on Easter Sunday, resurrected and alive, having conquered forever sin, shame, and death, to lead his people into true and lasting rest. Praise God. And so finally, I just want you to see the verse that comes after this discussion on the Sabbath. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Jesus would spend all night with his Father, all night enjoying God, all night in his presence. That was true rest. It sounds tiring. True rest is far deeper than simply the lion I really would love to have. True rest, true rest is knowing the Father loves you and wants to have relationship with you and time with you 
wants to be with you, wants to be with you in your time of work and to be with you in your time of rest, wants you to know his presence with you constantly and always, wants to take you aside on your own and speak to your heart, wants to strengthen you and build you up, wants to assure you of his love for you. That's rest. Jesus wants to lead us into the rest that he knew and he enjoyed. And that's why he taught us to pray, our Father. And that's why by the Spirit living within us, we pray, Abba, Father. Because he has completed the work so that we might know rest. Why don't we stand? And I'm going to invite the band to come and help us respond. Let's pray. If you're comfortable, why don't you reach out your hands? Why don't we pray? Lord, I pray would you help us not to be like the Pharisees. It can be so easy, Lord, to slip back into works-based religion, trying to earn your favor, trying to prove ourselves through our labors. Help us, Lord, help us not to be like that. Help us to be those that enjoy and live in the fullness of your grace that precious gift that has come to us that by faith we find ourselves right with God not because of our labor but because of Christ's work because on the cross he did all that was needed and all that was necessary to overcome my sin to deal with it to kill it thank you Father, that I died with Christ upon that cross. My old man died there. That a new man might live. One who is a son of God. What a privilege you have given us, Lord Jesus, that we get to walk with you through the grain fields. That we get to live our lives with you. That we get to labor with you as co-workers. But on a day like today, a day of Sabbath rest, we are reminded again of what you did to lead us out of our slavery and to lead us into a promised land, a land with God. And we thank you for your death, for your victory over sin. And I pray for us all here today. May we, may we leave rejoicing that you are the Lord of the Sabbath and that true rest is found in you. Amen.